Hey there, Brenda. It's Carol. Exactly. So which leg are we operating on? You mean arm. It's all connected. Asking the right question can greatly impact your future. Are you sure you're an orthopedist? Actually, I'm a Sagittarius. Especially when it comes to your finances. Do you have a question? Are you a certified financial planner? Yes, I'm a CFP professional. CFP professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. Welcome to The First Degree. For this week's episode, we wanted to hand over our mic to our Black listeners to share their experiences of growing up and living in America. To everyone who sent in their stories, thank you. We appreciate the time and energy you gave us, and we feel honored that we can use our platform to help amplify your voices. We are actively working to become better allies to our Black community, which includes educating ourselves, listening to Black voices and stories, and donating to causes that fight injustice in our country. We encourage open and respectful conversation in our Facebook group. We will actively be searching for cases that highlight the injustices that Black Americans face every day. So if you have a connection to one, please email us at hello at thefirstdegreepodcast.com. And to our Black Firsties, we stand with you. We support you and we love you. Hi, my name is Kendra, and I'm tired. I mean, tired probably doesn't even come close to what it really is. It's generational exhaustion. I'm tired, my mom's tired, my grandma's tired, my great-grandma's tired, my great-great-great-great-great, and it keeps going. We're tired. If you are black like me, if you know what I'm saying when I say that I'm tired, just know you're not alone. We've never been alone. There have been over 400 years of pain, of racism, of murder in this country. We are standing on top of all of it every single day with every step we take. And it shocks me to my core that most people aren't even educated, not only on the history, but the systematic injustices that this country is founded on, that people thrive upon. You know, it, when we sit there in class, right, think back to middle school, and we have U.S. history classes, and we talk about European history, too. We talk about so many different things, and there's that one chapter on slavery, If you're like me, and you grew up in a white neighborhood, so the whole classroom of white kids turn around and they look right at you. Yikes. Yikes for you. Why is it yikes for me? 
Why was I always made to feel uncomfortable for being the only black person in the room? That speaks volumes more about you than me. How many times can you ask a white person, how many times have they been in a room where they were the only white person in the room? Seriously, ask them. If you're listening to this and you're white right now, ask yourself, how many times have you been the only person in a room? So much so that everybody looks at you, you don't understand the jokes, you don't get the music, whatever it is, but I can tell you that I know what it feels like to stand at a concert and be the only person, a music festival, and feel like the only person, my job. Every job I've ever had, it's exhausting having to explain yourself, having to feel like an outsider when you're really not. You're just a human being living in a human world. You're just living in a world where no one was educated about you. You are supposed to be educated about them, which is wild completely mind-blowing that you could just simply share one side of history always. And then when things go wrong and people don't understand why, because they haven't learned anything about their history as a human being, as an American citizen, wherever you are in the world, really. So I encourage everybody who's listening because... Obviously, we have your ears right now. Thank God. Educate yourself. Education is, it won't solve everything, but I'm telling you, it's a start. You should learn both sides of history, all sides of history. Understand why people are hurting, why people have had generations, 400 years of pain in their blood, on their backs, in their families. Understand why that is so important. Do the work for yourself. You have the same access to books, the internet, everything. Educate your parents. Ask your parents what they know. Talk to your grandparents. You know, segregation was 65 years ago, give or take. My parents grew up in a segregated world. I don't know about the rest of you. I'm the first generation to not live in a segregated world in my family, and that's a fact. That's a hard fact. So when we think about even the last, I don't know, last less than 100 years, all of the historic things that have happened, all of the marches, the risks that people took to get us to where we are today. Today, as you're sitting there thinking, oh my gosh, you know, they're protesting and this is so hard to watch so many murders. These murders have been going on. Been going on hundreds of years. But even in the last hundred, it's like we still fight and we're still saying, look at us, listen to us, see us, let us live. It's really simple. Everybody just wants to live, right? We're born one day. You don't have a choice in it. You're just born one day. And one day, you find out you're black. And I I say that 
you find out. Because as a child, you know, you look at children playing together. I don't think children are really seeing color and going, well, they're different. Kids are so innocent, so pure. They're just looking at each other thinking, cool, someone to play with. Someone to share my toys with. And then one day you learn. One day society tells you, well, you're not the same as the white person. And we're not going to treat you the same. And we're going to remind you of this every single day until you die. For some of us, it's constant, it's violent, it's just plain horrific. And for all of us, at the end of the day, we can't sit by and watch our fellow black people, our fellow human beings, being treated like this. I don't know how anyone can sit there and say... Oh my gosh, how is Target going to get through this? How's Urban Outfitters going to recover? There's stores. How can you sit there and say, you know, well, they could have been up to something. These are human beings that have a right, a right in this country, on this earth, as a human being to justice, to equality, to be heard, to be seen, to be loved. All the same basic rights that every human deserves. You know, (laughs) I don't know where I'm going with this, but I'm happy to just talk. And I might be talking in circles, but... (laughs) Honey, we've been going round and round in circles about racism for 400 years. And I'll just keep saying 400 so everyone's real clear here. But we can just keep going round and round until someone steps up and stops this. And if you are white, please, you need to do the work. You need to stand up and be in this fight. The silence is violence. The neutrality is bullshit. I don't care if you're uncomfortable. Being uncomfortable is losing your family members, your cousins, your people, your friends, and having no one being held accountable for it. Screw your uncomfortable. I don't give a shit. I ask you to step up as a human being and do something human. Combat racism. Say something. When you hear someone say something to another person of color and you know it's not right because you know when it's not right, you feel it in your stomach, in your gut. Say something. Ask your white friends to not be so careless and callous with their actions and words. When you're in a bar And Kanye, Gold Digger, comes on. You and your friends want to sing a song and dance and party. And you see all those other white people going to throw the N-word up because it's in the song, you know, so it's cool. It's not cool. That right there is an act of being anti-racist. Stop them. Hey, don't say that. Do you know what that means? Do you know what white people have said, have used that word and weaponized that word? Don't let them do this. When you see white people falsely accusing black people of crimes when they're just bird watching the park, that's your opportunity. Say something, do something, be about something other than yourself. It's not that hard of a task, I promise you. 
when your aunt, your uncle, even your parents say something at the dinner table, don't let it slide. If you love them, say something. You want the best for them, right? Just like I want the best for my family. Say something. Protect black people in everyday instances, in big ways, in small ways. Do your part. We're doing ours. Believe me. Learning what we can and can't say to police. Learning how to code switch. Learning how to tame our hair to fit in. Learning where we can and can't be. We're learning every day, all day. Do your part. You learn too. Join us hand in hand. Create the world that you talk about and post about on Instagram. Be proactive in creating that world. And I really, really pray that what's happening right now doesn't fade. Because we've had these uprises, these quote-unquote revolutions. This isn't the first. And it surely won't be the last. Not unless people put meaning behind their word, bring justice to reality, give justice a real meaning again. God, I don't know if it ever had one, really. But give it some meaning. Outlaw racism. End it. You know, we have to get rid of these prison systems, these racist conventions, the racism that's so ingrained in our society. We have to end it somehow. I pray that I live to see the generation that ends it. I really do. I want to see it so badly. I want to live in it. This is so hard to record. But I'm thankful for your ears. I'm thankful for your attention. I hope that you go out and do something good for black people and for humans all around the world. Show your humanity. Do something good. Put your money where your mouth is and put your actions there too. Stay safe, everyone, and protect each other. Because all lives won't matter until black lives matter. And there's one last thing I want to add. To all of my black brothers and sisters out there, don't worry. We will rise. We will rise from this. History has shown we always rise. When they burned Black Wall Street down, we came back. When they put us in chains and beat us and lynched us and hung hung us outside of our own homes, we still were able to rise. We're still standing. We're still here today. Still fighting. Still getting educated. Still protecting our families. Still lifting our voices. Still singing. Still being joyous. Still making music. Still dancing. Still running. Still doing what it takes to not only survive but to thrive. So I want this to be a message of hope that we will get through this and we will prevail. And I am with you.
Hi, fellow Firsties. My name is Rebecca, and I'm from Frisco, Texas. And I don't know. This is my message to all of um, our white and non-black POC listeners um, within the first degree that want to know how you can help or how you can learn. Um, And I have two kind of main thoughts about this. Um, The first being that your allyship will seem performative and that's okay. Um, If you have just found the courage to, you know, speak out against your family's racist comments or to share publicly on your social media, um, welcome, welcome to the fight. Um, If you've been posting forever, but you've never done anything beyond that, like this is your time to add to it. Um, And the only way your allyship is not going to seem performative is with consistency. And so now you're saying, cool, I get that, but how do I help? I think right now with everything going on, people have very big feelings. And so they want to put a big, you know, check mark, we solved it on this big problem. But you can't. There's no one fix-it-all option. You have to take it step by step. So I'd encourage you to find little ways to fight racial inequality every day. The first and most important, and you hear it all the time, is to vote. Not in just the presidential elections, but in your local county, um, just things within your state. When things like this happen and you're looking for accountability for the police, the president doesn't matter. I know we think that, you know, he or eventually she can do anything. And it's a beautiful thought, but realistically, that issue falls to the state and it falls to the DA. It falls to that lead prosecutor. You get to vote on who gets to be that prosecutor. Pay attention to who's running. Pay attention to their track record. A lot of this stuff is public record. All you have to do is Google who's running for prosecutor in my area or who is my current prosecutor. What were they doing before this? What kind of law firm were they at? What cases did they try? You know, what have they publicly said their views are? All of these things are incredibly important. But outside of that, there are other things you can do as well. You know, if you're shopping with a friend and you see, you know, a store clerk following around a black person who seems to be minding their own business, call that shit out. Call it out. Um, If you, you know, have the courage and you're out protesting with people, get in front of the black people protesting. Police are way more hesitant to shoot a white person than they are a black person, as we can see. Um, Other things you can do, if you have any responsibility for kids, whether it be your own children, or if you're a teacher, or if you do like Sunday school or something in a religious group, daycare, whatever, do what you can to teach them to be better than we are right now. And this doesn't have to be a scary thing. It doesn't have to be traumatizing. It's little things. It's seeing kids, you know, drawing pictures of their family and a black kid asking a white kid for, you know, a a skin tone colored crayon. When they hand, you know, this light beige crayon over, say, no, share the brown one with them. Like their mommy may look that color. Um, Something just to normalize that. Um, Even having skin tone inclusive band-aids in your classroom, just the littlest things that show those kids like you not only see them 
but they're welcome and they're okay. And the fact that they're different is something to be celebrated. Um, I don't know. There's so much more I can say about this, but I just think finding that one thing you can do every day or, or every week, um, just to shine some positivity on what makes us all different and beautiful. That's, that's all we can ask right now. Good evening. My name is Chanel and I have been a firstie for quite some time now. So I just wanted to start out by saying that I really love what you, Alexis and Billy do And I think you guys are super respectful in the way that you guys handle everything. Um, And thank you so much for taking the time out to hear everyone's stories and get point of views from everyone and every type of person and being um, very, very respectful in the way that you do that. I am Black, White, and Native American, so I am mixed. And I myself identify as a black woman throughout my life. A lot of people have assumed that since I am slightly lighter in complexion, that I don't experience the same level of racism, but I have had racism come at me from all angles. Um, And as I said in my post that I posted on the post that you posted in the first group, um, one of the specific incidences that I remember profoundly as a child was my grandmother's brother lived in Oklahoma. Um, And when he would come to visit, I couldn't understand why I wasn't allowed to go visit my grandmother. And every weekend I saw my grandmother, she was incredibly involved in my life. And at one point herself was actually quite racist. Um, But I just couldn't understand as a child why I couldn't see my grandmother and they would always say, you know, your uncle tab is here. Your uncle tab is here. And until I got a little older, my mom explained to me that I was not allowed around when uncle tab came to visit because he used to call my mom racially based slurs, even though my mother is white. Um, But he was just an incredibly racist and inappropriate person. Um, And I remember crying And calling my grandmother crying, telling her that I wanted to come see her. And she would tell me, oh, no, not this weekend. You know, you can come next weekend. Or I can come once your Uncle Tab goes home. I did not get the chance to even meet my Uncle Tab until I was probably 21-ish. And then he was so old that to him it didn't quite matter as much. Um, but I just remember him being this elusive creature that I was not allowed around because he's going to call me the N-word. Um, and then my grandmother herself was actually, I actually make the joke always that I break racism because my grandmother was tragically racist. When my parents first got together, my mom busted into my dad's house with a shotgun after him because my mother was white dating a black man. Um, my grandmother did not go to my parents' wedding. Um, when my grandmother got my mother from my dad's house with the shotgun incident, she took her home and she put her in a very hot bath and scrubbed her down while calling her names. 
And when my parents got married, it was a couple people from my mom's side of the family, but mostly my dad's family. Um, so my grandmother was not at my parents' wedding. She had nothing to do with anything to do with me until after I was already born. Um, when my lovely aunt finally called her and was like, hey, you have to see that baby. She's beautiful. And at that point, my grandmother finally broke and called my mom and said, hey, I want to see that baby. And she finally came and saw me. And I was a couple weeks old at the time. And from that point on, she fell in love. And there was an incident that we had many, many years later when I was an adult where her, one of her other brothers, my, mom, my grandmother was one of 22 um, kids. And one of her other brothers had a granddaughter who happened to have a biracial child. And his granddaughter brought, you know, her over to see him. And he was ignoring this sweet little girl um, and being very rude. And my grandmother was there and she lived right across the alley from my uncle. And she looked at him and told him under no circumstances would she tolerate him treating his granddaughter that way. And I can't remember the little girl's name. Sorry, my family's huge. Um, but she took the little girl over to her house and she gave her cookies and milk and gave her some stuffed animals. And then I remember they had probably about a week where they weren't speaking because my grandmother was so upset with him. And I was I remember being so proud of her because I had heard the stories um, from when I was a lot younger. And I just remember being proud of her to the point where she voted for Barack Obama for both terms um, and being so proud that she was able to change. So I make that joke all the time that I break racism, um, but it was only somebody who was near and dear to me. And I feel like with what's going on right now, it's devastating. Um, I tried to watch the George Floyd video. I made it to the point where he said that they were going to kill him. And then I started sobbing. Um, I think that it's horrific and tragic that people like me and people with brown skin are being seen as lesser than because of the way that we are born and simply because of who we are, not because of the choices that we make. Um, today, I actually live in Pennsylvania, in Harrisburg here, and they're having protests today where they were pepper spraying people and all sorts of craziness is going on. And I live really close to the Capitol, so I can hear all of this happening, um, bits and pieces throughout the day. Um, my dad is calling me, his girlfriend is calling me, and they're terrified that I'm going to be injured or that I'm out protesting. Um, I did think about going and joining the protest because my brother is 15, and I think that this is historical and important. And I wanted him to see that, but that I'm also fearing for his safety in the same breath that I'm helping raise a black man. And one day, will this world turn against this black man that I am helping to raise? Um, so I just want to really, again, like, our 
non-Black allies are so important in this fight. It is not just our fight. This is everyone's fight. Um, and I'm incredibly proud of all the people that I know and love that have been incredibly supportive. I'm really proud of you guys for being always so open-minded um, and progressive and respectful um, and willing to do the work behind it. I saw that you were even educating yourself um, on your white privilege and things like that. And I just think that that is the most amazing thing and it deserves all the respect in the world. And truly, this is all of our fight. This fight belongs to all of us because we are all human. So thank you guys so much. I'm so sorry this is long-winded. I meant for this to be a lot shorter, but I didn't expect to get in my feelings as much as I am. And I just wanted to say again, thank you guys for, for what you do. Um, I'm a big fan of you guys and of the podcast. And again, thank you so much. Alexis and I'm 23 years old and I live in Arkansas. I am half black and half white but I am white passing and being white passing has really put me in a very sad and awkward position. There have been times where people have said horrible and very very racist things about black people in front of me not realizing that my father is black, you know, and my younger brother is a lot darker complected than I am. And it hurts me to think that he could be one of these people on the news. My brother and I, you know, no one has a perfect childhood, I know that, but ours was particularly difficult and it's bonded us. And in a lot of ways, I guess I feel like I'm his parent. And it just hurts to think that it could be him. I am genuinely so afraid that someone's going to see him and just see hatred. And not see the beautiful, beautiful man he's grown into be. My brother is the kindest, smartest person I've ever known. He has overcome so many challenges. He's in college, 4.0, scholarships, volunteer work. He's interning with the Congressional Black Caucus this summer. He, he's my hero. And the color of his skin has nothing to do with whether or not his life matters. His life matters because he's a human being. Because he's a good person. And he deserves to live his life without fear or risk of being murdered. Because of the, his skin color. Because of his DNA. <sighs> there have been times where... I actually remember in high school walking down the hallway and someone shouting hate at me. This person knew who I was. 
every time something like that happens, it's like a piece of me is just ripped out. I've never understood why race matters. I know people of all colors, all origins, all religions that are great people that would do anything for someone in need. Just like there's bad people of every religion, color, and origin. And I just don't understand what it's going to take for this to stop. And I don't know what I can do. I don't know how I can contribute to this change. But I know I'm going to do whatever I can even if it makes the smallest difference. So any post I can share, any message I can spread, I'm going to do it. You know, my favorite nonprofit has this message that love is the most powerful force on the planet. And it's right. But hate is the loudest. Right now. And I wish that weren't true I wish that George Floyd was still alive I wish that Tamir Rice was still alive a child was murdered because he looked like a man playing in a park and yet Dylan Roof gets Burger King after murdering people I'm disgusted, and I don't, I just don't understand how this can keep happening. And I'm so upset that people I know are staying silent. They're not doing anything. They're not saying a word. Or they're more concerned about the damage to these buildings. What about the black lives a building doesn't matter as much as George Floyd, a father, a human, an activist, a person. He had a life. Yeah. He had people that loved him and that had to live the rest of their lives without him. And that's not okay. Eight minutes and 46 seconds. And no one helped him. They watched him die. And I'm so, so sorry. He deserved better. He deserved so much better. They all do. Everyone does. No one should die that way. Absolutely no one. But this is ongoing. This is... Nothing new. This is why we march. This is why we're protesting. Kaepernick kneeled. And they tried to criticize him. Discredit him. He kneeled. You kneel before God. Why can't you kneel for lives that are senselessly taken by racism and injustice?
men with assault rifles can storm the Capitol. Did the police do anything about that? Absolutely not. But people marching with signs peacefully are tear gassed, assaulted. I just, I, I don't understand. It baffles me. Like, it's, I, I feel like I'm in a bad dream. I just don't know what to do. I'm so hurt. I'm half black and I'm half white. And this is absolutely awful. I just wish I could change this for my brother, for every black person in America. But I can't. But we can together. We can make this change. We just have to keep fighting. So thank you to everyone. Whether you're sharing a post or you're out there on the front lines marching, thank you. It, it truly means the world to me. And I am just so grateful that there are good people in this world who are willing to stand up and fight and speak out. And I just, that's my thoughts. Thank you. And we'll be right back with more stories from our listeners right after a word from our sponsors. When I was growing up, I took French in high school, but I could never get the language to stick. I wanted to be fluent so bad, but it never happened. I just couldn't focus and I couldn't practice enough and it didn't work. But thankfully, there's Rosetta Stone, which is the most trusted language learning program, and it's available on desktop or it can be used as an app on your phone or tablet. Rosetta Stone is different. It immerses you in so many ways. And with its intuitive process, you can pick up any language naturally, first with words, then phrases, and then sentences. And before you know it, boom, conversations. Plus, with Rosetta Stone's true accent feature, you'll get feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. It's like having a personal trainer for your accent. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the first degree listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com first. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com first today. Okay, so it comes as no surprise that I have absolutely no idea how to cook. I don't want to learn how to cook. It's not really my thing. But when I tried Factor meals, it was a freaking game changer. So Factor's fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. Yeah, two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. So the first time I tried Factor meals, I was actually blown away because I'm like, that's it. That That's all it is. Two minutes and the meals are so delicious. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every single week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. And you can treat yourself to restaurant quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, ooh, fancy, shrimp, and blackened salmon. Like I said, they're so easy to prepare. I love them. So head to factormeals.com slash degree50 and use code degree50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next 
next month. That's code Degree50 at factorymeals.com slash Degree50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. It's almost summer, and the best and most sustainable way to shop for a new season is on therealreal.com. The Real Real is the largest and most trusted source for authenticated luxury resale. It's the only place you'll find brands like Hermes, Cartier, Prada, Dior, Staud, Zimmerman, Jacquemus, and more for up to 90% off retail. 10,000 plus new arrivals land every single day from hundreds of brands you love, all authenticated by a team of in-house experts. Whether it's that perfect wedding guest look, a new summer sandal, an updated beach tote, resort wear for your summer vacation, you're bound to find exactly what you're looking for, plus deals you won't get anywhere else on therealreal.com. Visit therealreal.com and use code FIRST at checkout for 20% off. Terms apply. Hey everybody, uh, my name is Kiana and I have been trying to figure out what it is that I wanted to say. I have figured out that that was uh, a harder task than I thought it was going to be. I just started thinking of all the different things and I just started rattling off stuff. We're just tired. We're just tired. I'm tired. Like, we see this stuff happen so often. Nothing happens until there's an outrage about it. Then a police officer gets arrested, goes through the whole process of everything, and then they usually end up with some BS conviction, if they even get that. And more times than not, they don't. So we find ourselves back in the same situation over again, time and time again, over and over again. It's tiring. Um, it's just, there's just a lot. Like, I'm trying to keep my thoughts concise, but there's just so many different things that can be said. I can't speak for anyone else, though I'm sure a lot of people can relate, but... I mean, I'm a nurse, and I've been called the N-word at work by patients. I've had to take care of people that seem nice um, once they get changed into their hospital gown or whatever. I see that they're covered in Nazi symbols and things like that, and it's just like, it just takes just takes the the life out of you. And it's just like, I try to treat everybody with respect, but then it's like when you see that, it just takes a lot out of you. It's hard to imagine. I don't have kids myself, but 
I have nephews, I have a significant other, I have <clears throat> a father, I have a brother, like, they can go out, just be minding their business, and not come home, and it's no fault of their own, just because they're black, like, there's just, it's just so much, just so much, <clears throat> like, it's hard having to suppress kind of who you are in a way. Like, if something happens at work, somebody mouths off to you, you got to kind of suppress that and not go off on them because then you're portrayed as the angry black woman. And that's, this is just like the tip of the iceberg. Like, I just, I just ran through like so much stuff and I'm like, I just have to keep these points kind of clear and concise. And I still feel like I'm just rambling. Um... So like what I said in my post, like we're just we're just tired. It is nice to be asked, how are you feeling? What are you feeling? Because nobody really ever asks that. Um, I guess my last thing would be, I remember, I'm not going to make this political, but <clears throat> I remember at the day after the election, I went to work and I was angry. And all of my other black co-workers, we all had that same look on our face because we all knew. And then my white co-workers, the ones that did vote for Trump, because not all of them do, of course. They're just hee-hee and ha-hawing about everything. And it's like, this man is so racist. You can see how he has divided everything and put people against each other and just seem like he's making racism okay and like these people are just coming out of the woodwork and it's just it's just a lot so I feel like I said a lot but I also feel like I didn't say anything at all so <laughs> um yeah it's just a lot and we're tired so we tried the peaceful way Martin Luther King tried the peaceful way and they killed him so it's just hard when your skin color is the weapon that's used against you and you have no control over that. Um, people just want to be heard. People want to be acknowledged. Of course, we want change, but we want to be heard. We want to be acknowledged. So thank you for that. Hey guys, my name is Gloria. Just wanted to share a little bit about dealing with racism. When I was younger, I lived in Texas, and we happened to live next door to a guy that did not like black people at all. He put up a metal barrier around his yard, and when we were younger, we were playing tag in the yard, and my brother tripped and fell and hit his knee right on the metal barrier and ended up having to get stitches. And then we were called the N-word multiple times while we lived there. Um, when I was nine, we moved to California where we were treated better, but not much. Once we were playing basketball at the park... I was about 10 years old, and the little white kid lost the game, and he told us, go back to Africa, 
And at that point, we had already known about slavery and black people being treated poorly in the past. So I punched him in the nose and told him I had never been to Africa, so he left. Fast forward a few years, we moved to Arizona, and as I shared on Facebook, I had been pulled over for casing a Wendy's because the alarm had been going off. I wasn't even by the Wendy's. I was next door across the street at Applebee's, actually. But because I was outside and I was black, he assumed it was me. And also, like I said, I'm married to a white guy. My kids happen to be white in complexion. So people always assume that we're not together. And people always ask me if I'm their mother or if I'm their biological mother. So it's frustrating at times. It's it's got to change at some point. I don't know how, but I know riots and looting is not the answer. Thanks. Hi, my name is Hushva Gladden, and I just wanted to share a little bit of my experience of growing up as a black woman in America. I don't even know where to start. I think just based off of this week's events and seeing how everything has unfolded in a matter of a week, this has felt like the longest week ever. This has actually felt like the longest month ever. And I think with us being in quarantine, we have this time that we get to reflect. We also are dealing with past emotions and past trauma that is reappearing in different triggers, as such as the case we have seen this week with George Floyd's death. Even before um, agreeing to do this, this has been weighing on my mind just about being a black woman in America and things that I have gone through. Even when I think that I'm healed from certain things or unconsciously that happened to me growing up, they resurface. And this incident is no different. Um, I started to think about my upbringing and how I was raised. I came from a two-parent home, and my parents are actually still married to this day. And the way my parents raised us, they always raised us to be open, honest, and kind human beings, and to be great products of them when we went out into the world because we represented them. 
And that's something that I feel like all of my siblings, we carried. But I can't lie. The world hasn't always been so receiving and kind to me in return. I feel that as a black woman, before someone meets me, they already premeditatedly judge me. If you met me, you probably wouldn't know my background just because you're judging me. America has this stereotype placed on black people in general that we come from inner cities. We don't have higher education. That we don't come from two-parent homes. That we are always angry. We're always loud. We're always destructive or just things that you wouldn't necessarily portray on another race. And that's something that has been the hardest thing to deal with as a black woman is that I have never fit in in to any role, not of just societies, but even of my race. I've always felt like sometimes I didn't fit in because I liked pop music or I was into MTV and pop culture and even people, you know, from different races, white people and black alike would be like, you know, are you into this? Are you into that? And be surprised. So I never really felt like I fit fit in (laughs) at all. And that was something that was very... It was hard for me growing up and we look at the beauty standards and I always thought, oh, my dark skin, like I'm, I'm too dark. I'm too dark. Like, and that's because of the beauty standards that society has placed on us that if our hair isn't straight or our skin isn't lighter, that we aren't as beautiful. And that's not true. Black women. We are beautiful. We are smart. We are dependable. We, like, just strong. And I look at the women in my family and the woman that raised me, she was raised by a strong woman. And I love being a black woman. I love it. No matter if I'm not the the stereotypical black woman that society says that I am or I should be, it doesn't matter. I love being a black woman. And it's just hard when you love the skin that you're in and it took so long for you to love this skin and no one else around you or people of different races don't. Love it. I've seen this week that someone said that we all have the same opportunities. And 
this blew my mind because me as a black woman, not only am I black, I'm a woman. And to top it off, I'm a Jewish black woman. So I always felt like I had the odds against me. And we aren't all given the opportunities. And I wish people would understand that. And if you think we are, you need to rethink it. You need to go back, do some more research because we aren't. Even with my degree, I'm still not to the liking of of my white counterparts. I still don't meet the standards of certain companies. And because I chose to go to HBCU, which is the first HBCU in America, I'm still looked down on. And it sucks when you have worked so hard your whole life to be a woman that other people, and not only other people, but yourself to be proud of and to have the world try to tarnish that is something that anyone would be angry about. I don't think anyone can complain until you're placed in situations that make you uncomfortable or you have to be strong when you're hurting. I've been called the N-word in public and had to sit there with a straight face and wait till I got home to cry. And that's what we have to do every day as black people is wear a mask. We wear a mask in society. We have not taken off this mask. We have tried to fit the mold and we don't fit it. And that's perfectly okay with us. But we are tired. We are tired of seeing our brother's blood shed. We are tired of mothers crying. We are tired of being unconsciously triggered. We're tired of seeing people that don't look like us. Representation is important. And we are now just seeing more women, more black women in roles that aren't the typical roles that we're used to. They aren't slaves. They aren't battered women. We're actually seeing them in roles that actually fit with women, black women look like in today's society that just aren't getting seen. And yes, we are a lot further as people in general with every situation, but we are not where we deserve to be because we still have black men dying. We still have black women dying. We have black children dying. If you make this anything beyond humanity issues, that's your problem. And we just want to be seen as equal. And this isn't to hurt anyone and this isn't to bash. But this is just letting you know from a black woman's point of view of how tired we are. You have privilege. Let me repeat that. You have privilege. 
Whether you agree or disagree, you have it. You can walk out your house and know that you're going to be okay if you ever get stopped by a cop. If you walk down your street. I live in a predominantly white neighborhood. And I walk down the street or I go jogging and people walk the other way. Or they cross the street. Or people look at me until I'm off the block. Until you have that fear, you will never know how it is to live with this mask on your face. It's disheartening that one day I will have to raise children in this world. I'm only 28 and things haven't changed since my parents were younger and my parents are in their mid-50s. We are living this life that feels like everyone is against us. And this isn't something that we are making up. These aren't issues that we are just saying or just telling just to tell. When we say black lives matter, we aren't saying that other lives don't. We are saying in that in this state, we need you to be an ally because black lives don't matter in this instant. Too many people are dying. We just want you to be aware of what is happening around you. This may not be in your community, but this is happening in your world. We are just saying that black lives deserve to be treated equally with our other counterparts. That's all we're saying. We want the same things out of life that you want. We want to watch our children grow up. We want to live without crime and without hate. But that takes all of us to put in the work. We have screamed. We have done peaceful protests. We have kneeled. We have did sit-ins. What else can we do to get your attention? And that's all I'm saying is that become an ally. Even if you don't understand, and I get it, you can't understand or get what you've never been through. But we're asking you to stand by us. But if you choose not to, that's okay. Because black people are resilient. We make it through it all. We're going to be okay. But we're fighting for change. And it's going to happen. Even if it has to be on our backs. And our sole purpose. We're going to make it happen. Not just for us. But for future generations of black children. Black men. Black women. 
but I hope you choose to be on the right side of history. Thank you. My name is Alexia. I'm 29 years old and I'm from Oregon. I was adopted when I was younger. I, my entire family is white. My father was Hispanic. He really didn't look like he was Hispanic, but he was. Um, I have two siblings, a brother and a sister. When I was younger, after I moved here, there was not a lot of people that looked like me in the towns that I lived in. I would get picked on in school. I didn't have any friends. People used to make comments of the fact that my hair looked nappy, that it looked unkept. I had a fro. Um, my parents did everything you know that they could with what they had. My mom would take me to the local beauty school to get my hair braided, and I would be there for hours, hours, them doing my hair. And having multiple people come, multiple people make comments of how much hair I had, how thick it was, how unmanageable it was. Of me was by asking and trying, and there was not a lot of resources. The first encounter that I remember of having racism was being in elementary school. I had kids make comments all the time about why my hair looks different than them. I am pretty dark, and I have, you know, hair like any other person does, but it's not blonde. People used to make comments on my arms, how dark they were and how dark the hair on my skin was. Um, in fifth grade, this kid transferred and I remember he, we were playing dodgeball and he called me a black piece of trash. And I didn't know what that meant, but I remember the people that I was in school with, a lot of the kids that would I would later go to middle school and elementary school and um, high school with, they kind of stood up and were like, you can't say that about someone. You can't do that. And when I told my parents about it, my dad was like, there's no such thing. <laughs> no, like you don't, don't worry about it. When I got to middle school, um, it wasn't as common. It wasn't as often. It was more sly comments. It was more sly things. I mean, I, you know, my parents did not know how to take care of my hair, how to teach me how to take care of my hair. They tried, but it was hard. And so I used to just pull it back and I never looked like the girl's as much as I tried, I would get my hair braided and it would be really big, chunky braids and people would make comments about it. Kids used to make comments to my brother and sister all the time. When my sister, my brother and sister had new friends come over, it was always like, who's, who's that? Like, who's, who's this? And them having to explain that I was their sister and my brother and sister, I am really happy and relieved that it was never, they kind of just brushed it off. They never really let it dwell on them, which 
makes me really happy. They would ask people, like people would ask them who I was. My brother and sister would look at them like they're crazy and be like, that's my sister. And then just continue on playing. And I would always just be like, wow. It became a running joke that anytime they had people new over, like, let's see how long it would take before they would ask who I was. When I got to high school, it was a little bit more of an issue. Um, I would have people in my math classes. People would make a lot of racist jokes around me. Um, In high school, I remember just when you had the classes that were about um, Black history and segregation and slavery, just remember feeling everybody on me. I remember all the eyes on me. I remember we did a workshop on crucible and this kid in my class would refer to me as Tichuba, who is the black character in the crucible who is like voodoo made i i don't really remember but he would refer to me that all the time he would call me titch he would call me tichuba he would just say it and no one did anything. I never really knew what to do because I was just like, I I mean, like what else is there to do, but just laugh because what, like, it's just, it's too sad to say anything. And it was so crazy when I look back on it now, how easy it was for people how easy it was for people to call me Tichuba, how easy it was for kids to look at me and tell me racist jokes, how easy it was that I was walking down a hallway and somebody just saw me and randomly turned to me and called me the N-word and then just kept walking. And this is someone that I thought was a friend, someone that I knew, and I was just like, wow. (laughs) When I was younger, I really really wanted to be white. I would pray every day that my skin would get lighter and that I could have blonde hair. I could have straight, easy, manageable hair. I really just wanted to be lighter because I thought that I was so ugly and so just not worthy of being myself. I would see girls that didn't look anything like me getting so much love and I wasn't. And I just was like, it must be the color of my skin tone. I just, I don't look like them. I'm not pretty. My hair is not straight. My eyes are brown. Like I wish I looked like them. I wish I looked like my little sister who is white. I wished that so much and it's really sad now when I look back on it that I wanted that for myself. Brother had a girlfriend whose mom um, came over with him for his birthday dinner and she turned to my mom and was like, Anne, are you going to explain this? Are you going to explain what this is? Pointing at me and I was just shocked and my brother and sister were both just mortified. So growing up in a predominantly white family, 
with nobody around that looks like you, nobody around that's telling you the things that you go through, the things that you experience, telling you that when you're getting followed in a store, but your friends aren't, when cashiers make comments that you probably can't afford the clothes, but your friends don't work and you have a full-time job. The racism is so crazy and wild. I don't even think people think that they're doing it. I feel like people are a lot more aware of it now. I've had a friend tell me that her dad would be so angry at her if she dated a black man, if she brought home a black man, followed with the, well, I'm not racist. It's just, I'm, I'm sorry. Why would your dad be mad if you brought home a black man? I don't know. He just like doesn't really see that. Like he tells me all the time, like I could date anyone. I just can't date a black man. I just don't understand like why that's okay. Why is it okay for you to make those comments? Why is it so easy for you to make those comments? Shouldn't that bother you to say that? And I just remember listening to her and hearing her say these things. And at the time, I was just like, wow, like that is that is uh that is that's some racism right there that's some that's some racism but like what am i going to do if i cause a scene and make this big deal i'm the irrational crazy one if i yell and shout and make a big deal i'm the animal i'm the crazy one but why is it that i have to be the bigger person to make other people feel better about what they're doing. I shouldn't have to. I shouldn't have to make my voice smaller so other people can feel better. But I find it interesting that the people who were screaming and shouting about needing their states to open back up, needing to get back to work, have been awfully quiet about the Ahmad case and now George Floyd. They've been awfully quiet about the things that are happening in our country to people of color, to black men. They've been very quiet and it's been extremely eye-opening for me. You want to date our men. You want to date our women. You want to have mixed babies. You want to appropriate our hairstyles and claim them as your own. You want to get dreads, you want to get braids, you want to get knots, but you don't want to actually call them by the correct names. You want to refer to them as boxer braids. You want to come up to us and tell us that when you were in Cabo with your family, you also got braids, but they were too tight, so you had to take them out after three days. You want to talk like us, dress like us, take everything from us, appropriate our music, our culture, who we are. You want to do all of that, but you don't want to stand up for us. You don't want to be there for us. So you want to be there when it's convenient for you, when it makes sense for you. Why is that? Why is that what you're doing? Why aren't you getting pissed, getting angry? Why are you telling us to calm down, to get over it? That's what we get. That's what we deserve. It's not what we get. It's not what we deserve. I'm very proud in 
a lot of the white folks coming forward and white allies coming forward saying that they want to learn, they want to get better, they want to know what they can do to fix the system within their own communities. I think it's amazing hearing people and seeing people write in Facebook groups for podcasts I'm in asking what can I do to be better what books can I read what should I watch like tell me like who should I listen to like what should I do them being a voice and kind of taking a step back and just being like you need to listen to them you need to understand what they're saying like that's amazing I think that that is so incredible that you're giving um persons of people of color and blacks the opportunity right now to just have the floor and share what they have to say and I am also really really proud and I think it needs to be said of the people who are coming forward saying that they didn't understand that they didn't think white privilege was a thing that they didn't think these things were happening because you may be afraid to admit it but I think that that makes you extremely brave it takes a lot of guts and courage to come forward and say that you don't understand something that maybe people have told you that you need to just do. I think that that's really incredible. And I really, really applaud those people because they're trying, they're, they're trying to fix it. They're trying to learn. They're trying to learn how to fix their families, fix their relationships with their friends. They're trying to be that voice. They're not just saying that they're an ally. They're, they're taking the steps to do it forward. And I think that we need to recognize that. I appreciate everybody, every single person that's a white ally coming forward asking, how can I fix this? How can I change? What do I need to do? I really appreciate you and I see you, I hear you, and I respect you. I think that that is so amazing. I just am really, really proud of it and it's made me really happy because, you know, Sometimes when things like this happen, you don't really know how people are going to react. You don't know what they're going to say, what they're going to do. And I think that this has shown that there's a lot of people out there who want things to change and who are like, I'm going to make it change no matter what I have to do. And I really applaud that. I would recommend if you have some black community centers going down there and speaking with them and asking what you can do, I would recommend reading anything you can read, listening to anything you can listen to, watching anything you can watch, sit down and have real open, honest discussions with your family members and with your friends. And if you know anybody of color in your life, do it. Um, I think that it can be life-changing if you do. There was a story that came out of a man who... Um, came forward and said that like he was really he was a white supremacist and he he was really fearful of black people and he met with people in his community to sit down and speak with them to kind of understand and just be like you know hey like at the end of the day like we're still people we're still humans and I think that that just showed that like you can't people can change people can get better but they have to be willing to put in the work if they're not willing to put in the work then they're not really changing what they're doing is putting on a, a facade. And I think that if you can change people, then that's great. But if you can't, then you can't.
but I really appreciate people asking to hear your voice and asking to know what to do because, you know, it can be really hard and really scary to kind of ask for help. And that's what our white allies are doing. And I, I applaud that. I really do. is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun, and that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com.